Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, today I'd like to welcome a very special guest to the Naropa community and to the podcast, Fanshin Cox D. Giovanni. She is an actor, educator, writer, and producer, and is currently touring with her one-woman show, One Drop of Love. She is also here at Naropa being the Baynard and John Cobb Peace Lecturer, so thank you for speaking with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, how are you feeling today? Oh, Check in, say hi. I have hi. to say, I'm feeling wonderful. I've had now three days in this community, and it's mm. been <clears throat> so welcoming and loving, and I feel like everyone I've spoken to or come in contact with has this goal of goodness. <laughs> yeah. And it's beautiful. Yay. So, yeah. <laughs> Fun. Yeah, really fun. Really fun. Spring is here. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful today. It's nice outside. I had the pleasure of seeing sun and rain and snow all within a span of like 20 minutes. And that was interesting. Mm. And then... (laughs) Sounds like Colorado. Yes. Awesome. Well, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you. So you performed your show yesterday for the community. It's called One Drop of Love. And I'm curious, how did that go for you? It seems as though you've been touring the show for a bit. And I'm just kind of curious, how do you feel like the Naropa community received your show? They were so mean. Oh, <laughs> not <liar>. at all. <laughs> I was there. You were. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it for five years. Mm. And, you know, I've been in a lot of different communities. I think some certainly more receptive to the themes around yeah. kind of race and racism and class and gender, mm. uh, more receptive than others. But I I had the sense after being here for a day that this might be a very embracing community and yeah. that's exactly what it was. But really something that, that I really appreciated about it was the interaction, kind of the vocal yeah. interaction, mm. which I don't always get. Um, yeah. Sometimes I think, you know, people feel uncomfortable or they're like, I'm in a theater, I'm not sure. And Naropa was just right there along with me laughing out loud yeah. and you know, saying, mm, you know, and just call yeah. and response. <laughs> yeah, we're a mm type of crowd. You are. Or like, like finger snapping. Sort yes. of like. And I was actually working the camera at the show because okay. I do all the media stuff here okay. as well. Oh, man, I had to follow you the whole time. You were, you were cruising <laughs> around was. the space. It was I, really beautiful. I loved the interaction, too. I loved how you integrated the crowd. Mm. It felt more engaging to mm-hmm. the show, and you felt a part of it. So Yeah. Oh, thank you. That, yeah. And that was really important to me when I was developing it was mm. that I didn't want anyone to feel like they were just passively sitting back and watching a show. I wanted everyone to understand that, we're all complicit in this, in yes. race and racism, mm-hmm. and therefore we all have to be involved in it, in, in its yeah. dismantling. <laughs> like whether you like it or not, we're subjected to race. Exactly. And so, so here we are just all learning together. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
So speaking of the development of the show, can you tell me a bit about the process of the story development? How did you come to this place of doing this work? Where did the idea come from? Yeah. It, it's, it's such a cool show that oh. like, how did birth? Well, yes. Yeah, so I tell when people ask me, how long did it take you to write it? I say 48 years. Yeah. That's how long I've been on this earth. That's and a long time. It's a really long time. <laughs> and you plant seeds along the way, mm. right? And you, because I knew I wanted to be a performer and eventually started to realize that I would be a writer also, I had really kept a lot of journals growing up and really always anytime I kind of had an idea that I thought might someday go into some kind of show I'd write it down okay but then in 2013 I got my MFA and so I where'd you get that at California State University Los Angeles oh from LA yeah yeah (laughs) yeah are you from LA yeah nice (laughs) really born and raised uh yep 26 Sweet. years and then i moved here to oh go goodness. to little buddhist college where where in la did you grow up uh, outskirts of la simi valley but uh-huh. I, I had like did a lot of work in la and i was just like all well, we're talking about you well i know how to say like music people that makes <laughs> such, so much sense to me yeah. too that you were there but yeah. anyway awesome well, i want to know more <laughs> okay yeah totally Yeah. Yeah. So Cal State LA, which Mm -hmm. is a great MFA program. Now that I've seen Naropa's, I will say Naropa's is awesome too, but (laughs) I love the demographics there. As Mm -hmm. you know, LA is a very diverse city. That school in particular attracts, you know, diverse uh, around socioeconomic resources. It just was a wonderful campus. So Mm. in 2012, I had to declare what my thesis would be. And Uh uh, exactly. I was like, what? Mike and I and I just at the time I was telling people I want to do a show about fathers whose children identify differently racially than they do. Well, I always was curious about yeah. that. I had I was doing a lot of work in mixed communities, people who identify as mixed and kind yeah. of want to come together. But there were a lot of women there and a lot of mothers that mm-hmm. were helping to organize those communities and not a lot of dads. And so I thought that would be interesting. And I told my friend about it. And my friend said, well, what's your relationship like with your dad? Uh-oh. And I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. what do you mean? And then I thought... I haven't spoken to my dad in seven years. And then I thought, mm. I haven't spoken to my dad because he didn't come to my wedding. And then I yeah. thought, I haven't spoken to my dad because I married a white man and I think my dad is going to be angry at me oh. for that. So all these things started to kind of yeah. brew up for me. And fortunately, I was at that point ready. It wasn't uh-huh. too raw anymore. And so I was ready to to sit down and start writing about it. Yeah. So that's what became my thesis. Wow, that's so powerful <laughs> to you. to come to a place of, oh, wow, like <laughs> loving your parents so deeply mm. enough to show them how to love you back. Oh, you know? and, I love that you put it that way. And then, uh, and, and yes, that and also my grandmother has this line in the show when she says, parents can only give the love them been taught how to give. Yeah. Right. And so it's that thinking back on what was their history, what happened to them and what were the limitations for them Mm. that kept them from loving you. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. I have this idea where Naropa taught me how to love my parents more. And so, you know, there was this exchange of like saying I love you on the phone. That was just so awkward for 
until I moved here. Mm. And then Naropa just like ripped my heart open. They're like, do it. <laughs> and I started it. doing it now. Yeah. And it's like when you can show your parents love and what your grandma said is like, they can only be shown the love they're given. And so when the children can show their parents more love, the parents are able to receive and to yes. accept that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And the <laughs> people always ask, how does you know, how does your family respond to the show? And we are closer than we've ever been. And we have those difficult conversations more often yes. and yeah yeah and they're less difficult yeah and they're less they get less difficult. and less difficult that's right yeah. that's absolutely true and also when you're able to show up in love and not show up with ego they mm. are more potent mm -hmm. and they get to the point and yeah. you know you cry a little you laugh a little <laughs> and you just you just like all right yeah we're family yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> thanks for sharing that was so sure. good so you said you've been traveling your show for five years. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've been to many different places, many different scenarios, mm. uh, situations you've been in, communities that you've yeah. showcased your show into. How has it been received and what are the various ways it's received? Mm. And do you have any interesting stories <laughs> about like anything that came up? You're like, whoa, that's a curveball. I didn't mm -hmm. see that coming or... Yes, like, what is it like? Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting because the show is so specifically about themes that around social justice, around, you know, examining race and class and gender. We're mm -hmm. very clear that that's what it's about. So we yeah. generally know if a place is inviting us to come perform, then they know what it's about. And yeah. But I always find it's interesting when the difference when places say, oh, we would love for your, your show to come versus places that say, we need your show. Hey. <laughs> and the places that yeah. need it uh -huh. are quite challenging. I mentioned Flagstaff, Arizona in the show because when we did this show there, a student got up and just kind of walked out in the middle. Which is allowed. Absolutely. But, but that's their process. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It is allowed. It's in, yeah. And really, you know, mm. frankly, I want people to be that uncomfortable that yeah. they want to get up and walk out because it's uncomfortable. Mm. I don't want anyone to sit yeah. there going like, oh, what an entertaining piece, right? I yeah. want you to squirm in your seat. and But walking out, I think, you know, he kind of, he was in the front row. So I think it was definitely a, you know, I need to tell you how I feel about this. Like I stand my feet a little bit harder. Yeah, and just like, Doo -doo. let you know, you know. Wow. And then I also did the show for the Naval Academy Prep School in Rhode Island. Oh. And so that was another really interesting uh, and challenging <laughs> performance, mainly in the Q&A afterwards, just kind of starting mm -hmm. to unpack. I think really what set off the conflict was the very first question that a student asked was, what grade would you give the Navy on diversity? My response was, look around the room right now yeah. and ask mm. yourself, who's in a position of power? Ooh. What do the demographics look like at the top of the organization yeah. and who's cleaning your bathroom? Yeah. You answered the question with a question. Exactly. I really like that. And it, it was right there in the room. We didn't, you don't have to, I don't have to say Google mm. it or research this or yeah. look at this data. I yeah. just have to look around the room. It's yeah. the answer is right there. And so I, th there was in some cases a similar to re response to what you're doing, like, oh, wow. But there was also the administration that felt very uncomfortable like, that we were ooh. pointing this thing out, no, right? Just a that was in the chair. It was true, right? Yeah. But it was now suddenly 
talking about it and that's what the show is about is like you have to talk about it you cannot it cannot just be sitting there on the surface yeah an internalized truth is different than a spoken truth amongst a community absolutely because then it's it's like here it is yeah you're not running from it you're just saying what's up that's right and that's That's right that's where the work is that's where the work That's is. good. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, after that, when after I left, some fights broke out on the campus. Disagreements, and I don't know if they led to physical fights, but there were definitely, there was yeah. conflict. And so the administration presumed that it was all my fault, right? Not fair. Well, those things were there, right? And yeah. that, that was all there. Like one person for one night is not bringing up things that would lead to fights on your campus, mm-hmm. right? These things have been there, but people didn't have a voice in them or didn't yeah. feel like they could talk about them, and now suddenly they could. So that was certainly one of the more challenging wow. <laughs> performances wow. we've done. Oh, man, I'm sure there's a bunch of just crazy little stories But then there's like just that. people who kind of like, I did a run in New York recently at Stella Adler, mm. and for some reason an audience member <laughs> walked in like, from behind (laughs) walked i was like had started the show and somehow she got let in from like backstage or something she kind of just walks through and that's always fun because you're interactive exactly it's i built that into the show to be able to be free with that but no the most challenging things are when people are not ready to talk about Mm. racism and talk about the systemic nature of racism that i I use the census to kind of show to all of us that this is, these are systems. To be honest, I just love to appreciate you for talking about it. Um, that's, that doesn't seem easy to take on. Yeah. It's probably not easy to listen to either. And to be honest, it needs to happen for the unconditioning to occur Mm -hmm. or the conditioning and to uncondition that. So, Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, you, you just said a little bit about the census. The yes. census application is about race. And that, that was my next question. How did you know oh. that? <laughs> so during the show, you guide us through a journey of the census and right. what box you would check while taking this survey of in, what is it, 1920s when it started? Uh, 1790. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I wasn't yes. even born yet. <laughs> <laughs> Neither was I. I don't think anyone on the planet now. I know. <laughs> right. So, and that's, I wanted to use this historical context. I didn't mm-hmm. want to just tell my own personal story. I yeah. think a lot of us make the mistake of presuming that our own personal narrative, our contemporary life and identity mm-hmm. is the way the whole rest of the world works, right? <laughs> and so we make choices based. I mean, I yeah. think in our last election, I think a lot of people voted the way they did because they were only thinking of themselves mm-hmm. and of their own, you know, their very kind of like isolated experience and I want audiences to know that particularly when it comes to race there's this entire history that has been happening since before 1790 but we begin in the 1790s that really direct our even our current conversations and our current understandings of who we are so that's what the census kind of acts as that tool to let the audience know Mm. we don't have full control over how we see ourselves and see others. We've been deeply influenced by these things that happened in the 1700s. Yeah. You're just making me think how 
the census was just a application so they can determine certain things yeah. or aspects I about mean, what we, people? What we say about the census is that uh, it is to determine, number one, voting districts, and that's really important. That's why one, one yeah. of the reasons why it's important, the, the numbers are important, but also where resources need to go. That really is kind of one of the things like we need to know how many people are here and how many might need welfare, for example. So mm. where do we put resources? Yeah. However, because we've been counting it since 1790 and it still seems cyclical that the same people lack resources. <laughs> it doesn't it's seem to be working. doing the job that it says. Hello, it's <laughs> out there. <laughs> so I yeah. always say, I always say, you know what? They should just add an "I am oppressed" box to the census. <laughs> but Ouch! In jest, you know. Yeah. I mean, really, what? In, and I don't know if you've heard that. Unfortunately, our current administration for this year has now added a citizenship question to the census. So they are now. Yes, and for 2020, you mm. are going to have to answer whether or not you are a U.S. citizen. And that's extremely wow. dangerous, obviously. So it's been used to manipulate. And as yeah. I show in the show, from 1790, mm -hmm. every 10 years, until 1970, it was a census taker that would look at you and determine your yeah. race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you saying that and you weren't even able to fill it out. And first off, there's not, That's like when right. it comes to the census in the race box, there isn't enough boxes to fill out you identify as mixed race. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. like, wh where's my box? Yeah. What well, do I do? I need multiple boxes. Wait, I'm not true. allowed to please check one. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, in reality, no one really is one because right? most of the racial categories, we have racial categories that include yeah. region and those we, mm. if you speak of geographical regions, okay. Yeah. But a racial category that's just, for example, the word white or black. What does that mean? These were created out of thin air yeah. in order to permanently make a hierarchy of where people fit on this, you know, yeah. on these yeah. power structures. It seems like when the census was created, it wasn't created to condition people, but it has conditioned people yes. in such a way yes. that is limiting our way of reflecting with each other, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, I just want to touch people's soul. Like, what color is your soul? You yeah. know, but we all have colors. Right. And, and that's, that, and that's, and the that's heart. beautiful. It is beautiful. That's yeah. the thing is that I think a lot of people made the mistake. And certainly uh, this is kind of, I share my life in the 1980s living in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which was this very liberal place, very progressive. And, you know, and that yeah. was kind of this like, oh, I don't see color. And we're really realizing the error in that type of mentality and terminology. Yeah technology because yeah. color's beautiful color is a great thing and color also mm -hmm. means let's if we're talking about black for example it means resilience it means joy yes. it means tradition mm. so even though it doesn't mean race genetically it does have a meaning and just like yes. white doesn't mean race genetically but it also has a meaning and yeah. those meanings i think we have to really dig in and understand them in order to dismantle them yeah. rediscovering <laughs> our meanings yeah definitely yeah. awesome <laughs> So with your work around race and relationship, there was a focus around race and relationships and how the race and relationship show up with each other. 
How has your definition of race and relationships changed while you've been performing the show, mm. doing your research, and just mm. kind of moving through the space? Oh, sorry, boy. that's a big one. That is. I'm like, oh, that's going to be my next show. It's so good. <laughs> so, for myself, there's that kind of internal relationship that I have had around race yeah. and in the ways that I identified that allowed me to love myself and do self-care and the ways that mm. I've identified that stood in the way of that. So I think one of the things, and I talk about this in the show is when I first started to identify very strongly as black, which was in college, mm-hmm. um, I thought that meant I had to perform. Black was that 93? That was in 88. Okay. Okay. So, I just remember seeing the dates on the, yeah. <laughs> so this was university of Michigan, yeah. you know, go blue 1988. <laughs> okay. When the, when Charles comes to me and says, you know, are you joining the black student union? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, and, and I'm like, no, no, because I'm Jamaican. And he's like, mm-hmm, right? And yeah. I really start to learn and embrace my blackness. Yeah. And at the time, I thought that in order to embrace blackness, I had to act a certain way and I had to dress a certain way and I had mm. to speak a certain way. Yeah. But my real own relationship with blackness has now come to a place where I am fully embracing of being black and not needing to do anything on the exterior for that to prove that to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> and including my father, which is mm. the show is really about coming Whoa. to reconcile that relationship. Yeah. And I felt like hmm my falling in love with and marrying a European man, a white man Mm -hmm. was this counter, you know, counteracting my love of blackness and therefore my father. But I really came to learn during the show that it's not these exterior actions or performances. Uh, It is about your interior. (laughs) Yeah. The, Loving the interior just makes loving the exterior so much easier. That's the center. That's where it starts yeah. from. And then it just like kind of yes. comes out from there. Yes. Yeah, and everyone's exactly. like, ooh, what, what are you doing over there? Yeah. Are you loving, loving. Are you loving yourself over there? Leave me alone. I'm loving. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I noticed within your show, there was a lot of silliness, laughter, humor, interaction. Yes. Mm. And then there was a lot of deepness, a lot of heart center stuff. Like I was laughing, like you almost got me to cry. I'm not going to lie. Mission accomplished. There was actually a moment where I just wanted to cry. I was just like, I need to get this out, you know, but it was just so beautiful. And you, the variations of emotions that we felt during your show that the whole crowd felt, Mm. how do you use that towards your advantage for the show? Like Mm. were you purposely inserting laughter and deepness like (laughs) obviously it was but I just kind of want to hear your process with that yeah I think um you know with performance and with writing there's kind of only so much a person can sustain um Mm. and it's already a very challenging uncomfortable topic and so I knew that I had to find ways to lighten things up add that in. I think the good thing is that I'd never thought of myself as a funny person. And so I didn't, oh my goodness. You're extremely enjoyable, which kind of defaults to funny sometimes, I guess. Okay. Yeah. That's that's good. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I'm seeing. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) 
Yeah, I did. when I was writing it, I thought, oh, I hope people, I hope I can have some levity here because this yeah. is going to be really hard, but I don't know how it's going to happen. And mm. and that's when I started to discover things as I was workshopping it and reading with people and people would laugh and it'd catch me off guard. Like, what are you laughing? You know, I'd almost get defensive. Yeah. What are you laughing about? And I'd be like, oh, that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how cool. you start to discover it. Okay. And, but yes, okay. I definitely knew that we needed moments of levity. And mm. it's another reason why I start after I've gone around the audience and counted as the census worker, you're a white male, free white male, free white female. Yeah. I then go immediately into this love story because everybody mm. loves a love story, right? So I mm -hmm. go from this uncomfortable moment calling people slaves in the audience yeah. <laughs> yeah. into totally. now we're going to talk about love, mm. right? So yeah, yeah, the balance is there on purpose to, so that it's not too much. <laughs> you just get jettisoned all over your emotional spectrum. Yes. And, just like, and now we're over here. Shoot, shoot. Yeah. Very crazy. <laughs> that was a pretty intense moment, but for me it felt uncomfortable Good. and perfect. Good. It was like perfectly yes. uncomfortable. I was like, yes. Thank you know, you. there yeah. was this feeling of this is what's up, not holding back. Mm -hmm. We're saying what needs to be said and we're all here experiencing it at the same time. Yeah. Like this is how we uncondition together. Yes. And so it was very powerful and it was just such a good, oh, just so good. <laughs> so you call your show The oh, One yes. Drop of Love mm -hmm. and you have a story of the one drop the one drop and it's rule. not it's not like a drop in the beat you know <laughs> it is it's not. it's drop the one drop rule can you just kind of quickly sure. explain that you don't have to go too deep into yeah. it but i felt like that was pretty relevant it's very relevant yes. and so yeah the the one drop rule was established by slave owners who were essentially raping their slaves and yeah. their slaves were having children and then at some point in the country there were enough of those children and they had to decide what they were going to do, whether these children would legally be slaves or legally be free. And 99% of those were from rape. There were also relationships, loving yeah. relationships, but we had these, you know, these people who at the time they were calling mulatto. And so the capitalist white men decided that yeah. they wanted to make money off of their own children. And so they created the one drop rule that said, if you have one drop of African blood, that determines that you are a slave. Yeah. And I, wow. Yeah. That's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Just one drop. There's a lot of drops of blood in you. Well, and right. And there's ultimately blood does not determine anything yeah. racially. Nobody can count the amount of black blood you have because there mm -hmm. is no such thing, right? Yeah. Genetically, that is. You can't quantify that. You can't quantify no. it. The reason that I chose to name the show One Drop of Love is to, to really push on the importance of understanding our history and yes. what brought us here. Yes. And so those first two words, the one drop, are reminding us that yeah. there's this historical context behind our current personal identity and our personal narrative, mm. there's context. It doesn't mean we have to be beholden to that history, but I do think we need to know it so that we don't repeat yeah. it. Yeah. I didn't know that until your show. Oh, wow. And, and yes. it really, it made me realize
realize like we all have African blood. We like, all originated exactly. in Africa. We are exactly. all African. Yes. We like <laughs> we are all African. We are. That's this is where our roots from. So what are we hiding from? Yeah. This is where a lot of the like information and intelligence and developing consciousness came from. Absolutely. If anything, it's it's more potent over there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, right. and, and we've, Africans have had much longer time to evolve than any of us because yeah. we began there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that takes me to kind of what I, I use these hashtags for the show. Hashtags or social media, you know, things you use in social media to find. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, those I'm things. assuming you know, but not everybody <laughs> knows, right? Because I love Naropa because sometimes I, it looks I like refer the number to sign. things. <laughs> yes, thank that you. Thing. Okay, the pound sign, the <laughs> yeah. numbers. So the hashtags I like to use for the show are truth, justice, love. In mm. that order. Oh, because I think it's really important that love does not just look like a hug or love does not just look like saying I love you and love does not even just look like caring for you on an emotional level. Love looks like truth and justice. Mm -hmm. Love looks like fighting for making sure that we understand our history beyond a dominant narrative. And then it means fighting for reconciling that history. Once we're really telling the truth of it, how do we come to repair the things that we broke? And so it's truth, justice, then love. So thought out and so beautiful. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. (laughs) So we just have a little time left and I just want to ask what's next for you? Anything exciting coming up? Like like anything you want to break right now and just let us know or where are you off to next? I'm off to Phoenix, Arizona. I'll be there next week uh, with Black Theater Troupe. Got a, a four show run and I'll be doing some workshops there with the Center for the Study of Race and Democracy in in Phoenix. And then I'll be in June, if anyone's in the Cambridge area, I'm going to be in Cambridge, Massachusetts celebrating Loving Day, which is the the celebration of the anniversary of the Supreme Court decision that made interracial marriage legal in the Mm -hmm. United States. Uh, Then I'm going to be at a social justice camp, a couple of different social justice camps (laughs) this summer. So I have a lot going on and our website is onedropoflove.com. Yeah. You can go there and see what else Mm. we're doing. And then in my other job, I do development. I'm a development executive in the film and TV industry. And so I have Mm. a new web series that will be launching on Complex. Uh, And it's called Grown, and it stars two millennial Haitian Americans living in Miami. So I'm really proud of that, too. Awesome. Yeah. You have another job? (laughs) I know, I do. (laughs) How does one? Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, with a little bit of my research, I mm-hmm. came across this inclusion writer idea in the, what is it, the movie industry mm-hmm. and how you've worked with France and McDormand. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Sure. Yes. So I didn't work with Francis McDormand directly, but I work, so I work at a company called Pearl Street Films, which is owned Mm. by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Whoa. Um, Look at that. Hey, shout out. So yeah, shout out. (laughs) So we grew up together doing theater. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. I've known Matt since I was nine and then we met. Yeah. Story (laughs) unfolds. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) 
and they are kind of executive producers of One Drop of Love, which has been wonderful. However, they also were doing some things kind of publicly in the industry that were just, I think, that they had come to be in a bubble for a while, kind uh, of in a, yes. you know, cisgendered, white, male, celebrity, mm-hmm. wealthy bubble that can happen to a person yeah. when you don't have a lot of kind of out- access or exposure outside of your bubble. Uh-huh. And so we started to have some questions and conversations around that and Mike trying to poke holes into the bubble. Mm, <laughs> like, hey, yeah. guys. How thick is the bubble? Remember how? Yeah, and it's, it was thick. I was yeah. bouncing off of that <laughs> a lot of times. But ultimately, we really, we had some really deep, important conversations. And so they hired me to come work for their production company to really help them think more broadly about the kind of content, films and TV that they were creating. Yeah, and so, very cool. One of the first initiatives that I worked on is uh, what something called the Inclusion Rider, which uh-huh. is an addendum to their contracts. So anytime they're negotiating for a new contract, they would bring this addendum to their contract into the studio and say, we want to do this film, but we expect you to have targets. These, you know, certain targets to make sure that the cast and crew of this film reflects what the world actually looks like. Okay. And so they said yes right away. And so we started working for about a year or so with a civil rights attorney, getting the language right. Mm. And then suddenly Oscar night, we're all watching the Oscars and Frances McDormand says inclusion writer. (laughs) And so the two women and I were like, what? (laughs) And it's been wonderful because... Very cool. Now it's public that the people are making these public commitments to using the inclusion writer. And and that Mm. means that people are really reflecting on their biases sometimes subconscious right in that but they're really kind of thinking now oh this movie should look like what the what this locale looks like i should have representation in this movie so yeah yeah. so slowly but surely yes thank you for popping bubbles Ah, i I appreciate that (laughs) and sometimes they're not easy Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small, mm-hmm. and sometimes it just takes a little bit of like a needle or a karate kick or a samurai sword. It's just, <laughs> yes. you know, but here we are. Here we are. Yes. yes. And thank you. I feel like <laughs> I feel like everyone I have met at Naropa is about that. And maybe yeah. it's kind of internal bubbles or just, <laughs> yeah, that everyone here is really yeah. open to the hard work that it takes to make change. And yeah. It's been a beautiful thing to witness. Awesome. Yeah. So how can people follow you? Yes. So you said the the website you is, said your website. Mm-hmm, one drop of love. Is there anything com. else? Yes, I'm on You're so interesting. You're doing ah. so many things. Like people need to know about this. <laughs> All right. Well so Instagram at one drop of love and every Wednesday I do something called Watch Me Work Wednesday. And oh. I it's based off of this wonderful playwright named Susan Laurie Parks. And so it's essentially kind of sharing the process of being a theater actor performer writer producer and then also a development executive what what does it look like what do you do because i feel like if more people shared what their day is like in their career Mm. that that other people would think oh that is something i can do i kind of want to reveal the process so that no one thinks it's magic that they think 
That's so they can see themselves in it. You got a ghostwriter. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So so every Wednesday uh, on Insta Stories, Instagram Stories, oh, I do cool. Watch Me Work Wednesday at One Drop of Love. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank it was you such so a pleasure much. speaking with you. I loved being here. Yeah. Thank you. Our very special guest to the Naropa community and to the podcast, Fanshin Cox D. Giovanni, an actor, educator, writer, producer, and also her one woman show of One Drop of Love. So thanks again for speaking with us. Thank you. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.